Let's give it up in a Cleveland fan welcome for Pastor Mark as he leads us in kingdom. So, uh, several of you have no idea what the Cleveland fan welcome means, but just trust me, it's big. So, good morning. Man, I, I just uh, know that God has uh, something very, very big planned for, uh, I'd say all of us, but especially for, I don't know, I uh, just got, had the sense today when we were singing the song about, I will build my life on you, and I will not be shaken, that there's somebody here today whose foundations are being shaken. And I am praying for you, whoever you are. I don't know who you are, but whoever you are, I'm praying for you today. And I believe God has something very, very special uh, in mind for you. So I just thank Him for that, even before we start. So, welcome to a brand new series on the Gospel of Matthew. Uh, Actually, I could say that better. Welcome to a brand new series on the gospel of Jesus as told by Matthew. You know, we have Matthew and Mark and Luke and John. They have their gospels, but really it's not their gospel, it's Jesus' gospel. It's the good news of Jesus as told by men who were inspired by the Holy Spirit to write from their perspective and their world, and we're so thankful that we have their writings So these four, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, like who are they? Well, two of them of the four were intimately connected with Jesus in that they were his disciples, two of the twelve disciples, Matthew and John. Then there's Mark, who appears to have been a close friend with the apostle Peter, Uh, Mark who also was on some of the missionary journeys with Paul, And also Luke, same thing, on some of the missionary journeys with Paul, uh, also his personal doctor. So these four were extremely familiar with Jesus. They were his closest friends, and uh, we are blessed to have uh, this great, magnificent opus, this spectacular masterpiece of Jesus' all-surpassing love for us as told by these four So we are, over the course of this summer, going to get into Matthew. And I I can hardly wait to get there, but before we get there, we have to go somewhere else first. Uh, I'm looking at the gospel story, if you will, today as a song. And uh, there's the song of the gospel of Jesus according to Matthew But there's actually a song uh, before the song. Let me explain it like this. In 1900, there was a man by the name of L. Frank Baum. How many of you recognize that name? L. Frank Baum, the literary geniuses among us. You know what most of us don't know is that L. Frank Baum wrote a book. You know about the book because the book turned into a movie, and the movie was... The Wizard of Oz. I remember watching The Wizard of Oz as a little tiny guy, and I thought it was just an amazing movie. But my mom and dad tell me that when I was like four and five and I was watching it, I would actually get up off the couch and hide behind the couch because there were scary parts, right? I mean, that mean lady that came to Dorothy's house and stole her dog? 
that mean lady that looks a lot like the green Wicked Witch of the West later on in the movie. Like she scared Dorothy and the Tin Man and the Scarecrow and the Lion and me. Maybe she scared you too. I don't know. But I also remember that remarkable moment in the movie, and you can't appreciate this if you aren't like a, a person of my age, but when we watched that movie back in 1960, um, there's a, 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 a big moment in the movie where it starts off with Dorothy in Kansas and then there's the tornado. And when she lands in Oz, what happened? It went from black and white to living color, which, trust me, was a big deal back then. Well, what a lot of people don't know is that L. Frank Baum went on to write other books on the same characters afterwards. He wrote sequels. But he never wrote a prequel. He never wrote the story before the story. Interestingly enough, it was 95 years after he wrote that first book that another man by the name of George McGuire came around, and he wrote the prequel. It's called Wicked. And Wicked was wickedly successful as a Broadway uh, play, still showing uh, today. Well, it would be if COVID wasn't in New York. But uh, Wicked... In the Wicked story, we get the backstory. We, we discover that the Wicked Witch of the West wasn't always so wicked. And we get to know a little bit more about the characters that were in the book, The Wizard of Oz, by reading the prequel, the story before the story. For those of you that are fans of This Is Us, the writers of that show do this expertly. They, they take us to flashbacks. They take us to the backstory that helps us understand better, oh, that's why Kevin is the way he is. That's why Kate and Randall are the way that they are. It's because we've learned the backstory that helps us understand the story that is unfolding in front of us. That's what Matthew is kind of like. Matthew's unfolding a story before us, but there's the story before the story. And we need to know what that is. And thankfully, we have it. It's called the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, this is where we get the backstory or the song before the song. Here's what I want you to see with me today with these four gospel writers. Picture a quadraphonic sound system. So you've got four speakers in each corner of the room. If you don't have those speakers, see, we, this is an evidence of speakers. It's happening right in front of us. Um, s- s- tuned in to the right frequency, to the right sound, to the right tone, you won't be able to hear. Oh, hi, David. He's, snap, crackle, and pop. What's Rice Krispies going on here? Okay, so that also dates me. Uh, But if you don't have these four speakers tuned in, it's kind of like you can't hear the song as well. With all that in mind, when I think about the song of the gospel, when I think about the first notes of the song in Genesis chapter 1, it is glorious, big, huge, major, key, 
chords coming in with beautiful harmonies. It's the kind of song that when you hear it, it just causes your heart to soar. But it only lasts for a little while until something goes terribly wrong with the song. And into the song come minor keys. Because into the song, into the story, sin has entered. Even then, God begins to weave this beautiful melody in a major key through the song, helping us see that there is going to come one who will remedy every situation and every problem. And this is what we need to know about the backstory so that we can understand Matthew uh, better. Because Matthew, like Mark and Luke and John, are all writing their gospel as the continuation from the Old Testament. And they are all writing it in such a way that it is the climax of the story of Israel. Because in the center of that backstory, God decided to set apart and choose one man by the name of Abraham. And it would be through Abraham that God would send the coming king. And so understanding this helps us understand Matthew. If you're to read the Old Testament from Genesis to Malachi, and you get to the end of Malachi, and if I'm looking at it in terms of the metaphor of a song, when you get to the end of Malachi, where is the song at? Is it done? Is it finished? Is it resolved? The sense that I have about the Old, Old Testament is kind of like this. Da, 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 da. You need two more notes, don't you? Da, da. Then you're done, right? But it's not done at the end of Malachi. The song needs to continue. Here's what one writer, New Testament scholar N.T. Wright says. He says, when you get to the end of the Old Testament, you are still left with a sense that this story is supposed to be going somewhere, but that it hasn't gotten there yet. It is an unfinished narrative, an unfinished agenda. I'm saying an unfinished song. Things are supposed to happen that haven't happened yet. What's more, the story seems to have badly stalled. He goes on, the impression we might get if we read straight through the Old Testament, great beginnings, wonderful visions of God's plans and purposes, then a steady decline and puzzling and shameful failures, all ending in a big question mark. Now, if we don't know this, we're going to be shrugging our shoulders and raising our eyebrows as to why Matthew starts his gospel the way that he does. How does he start his gospel? Like this. A record of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Now, mind you, the last word of Malachi, which left the song in a very unresolved way, there's been 400 years between Malachi and Matthew. Scholars call these the silent years. No king, no judge, no prophet, no word from God to his people. 400 years. And the very first thing that Matthew writes is a genealogy. <laughs> it doesn't make any sense at all, does it? 
except, oh, it does if you know the backstory. What Matthew was doing is he was capturing the attention of the listener. Again, N.T. Wright says this. I love this. For many cultures, ancient and modern, and certainly in the Jewish world of Matthew's day, this genealogy was the equivalent of a roll of drums, a fanfare of trumpets, and a town crier calling for attention. Any first century Jew would find this family tree both impressive and compelling. Like a great procession coming down a city street, we watch the figures at the front and the ones in the middle, but all eyes are waiting for the one who comes in the position of greatest honor right at the end. So Matthew writes, Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah, Judah and his brothers, Judah the father of Perez, and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. Later on, he keeps going, Solomon the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab, Boaz the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth, Obed the father of Jesse, and Jesse the father of King David. And on to the end. Eliud, the father of Eleazar. Eleazar, the father of Mathan. Mathan, the father of Jacob. And Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus, who was called the Christ. See, Matthew knew that if he began his gospel like this, invoking the name of Abraham, everyone's ears would perk up. He knew that he would still have their rapt attention in the middle with the mention of the name David. He even doesn't allow them to miss the fact, King David, the big question is, will the hearer of this gospel understand and know that the one who comes at the end of the procession, the one with the greatest honor, the one with the name that is above every name, would they know that this is the one that they'd been waiting for all these years? This was kingdom come time, people. They'd been waiting from the Garden of Eden. They'd been waiting from, from Noah and, and Moses and, and Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and David, they'd been waiting. All of Israel had been waiting. And now the king has come. Now, just in case anybody is wondering, okay, Pastor Mark, I get it. I understand why Matthew started his gospel in such a way to reach Jewish people who were longing for their coming king. But what does this have to do with us? Like, what does it have to do with the wider world? What does it have to do with the rest of humanity? I'm glad you asked. <laughs> because God ordained that it would be through Abraham, one man, through whom the Messiah would come. And God raised up Abraham and the nation of Israel to be a light to all the nations so that one day all would come to know. See, it's not just those who are sons and daughters of Abraham by blood, but by faith. 
And that makes this highly personal for us. That's why these four books that start the New Testament, these four Gospels are so important because it's the good news of Jesus for all of us, for everyone who has fallen short of God's glory, for everyone who has sinned, for everyone who knows that they need a Savior. And you do know that that's you, right? You do know that you are in need of a Savior. So is every person that's ever lived and ever will live because we've all fallen short of God's glory. We have all sinned. And God, in the sending of this descendant in the family tree of Abraham and David, this Jesus has given to us life now and forever, and the kingdom that Jesus brought has come. The good news today is that Jesus is the king and the king has come. And because the king has come, so has the kingdom. I can't wait to dive into what it means that we've been invited into the kingdom of God. We're going to spend all summer looking at it. But may I just say for now, and we'll hear it more than once through this series, the greatest thing about this kingdom What do you think it is? It's the king. The greatest thing about the kingdom is the king. This king is unlike any other king. Because you're not subjects of the king. You're friends of the king. This king, unlike any other king, does not send his people out on the front line to die for him. This king goes to the front line to die for the people of his kingdom. For him, it was personal. And I hope it is for you as well. Which takes me back to Matthew's genealogy. There's something else we just have to see. You don't see it maybe at first look. One of the things that makes Matthew's genealogy really remarkable is that he mentions five women, including Mary, in the genealogy. Now, maybe to us that doesn't seem that big of a deal, but in that day, it was unheard of. It is to say that in this family tree, there's no one that's excluded. There's no, like, class. There's no distinction. Like Paul says, there's neither male nor female, Greek nor... uh, Jew, slave, or free. Everybody, everybody's in. And if that isn't enough, if you go through the list of names in this genealogy, you know who you find there? A prostitute, liars, cheaters, even a murderer. I don't know what that says to you, but to me it says, wow, <laughs> I'm in good company. Like, if those people are in, that must mean I can get in. What the Lord would want each of you to know today, to be reminded of, or perhaps to know this for the very first time, is that there is no one excluded from Jesus' invitation into the kingdom. Nobody's out. Nobody has a track record that would eliminate them from consideration. 
Nobody has been to a place that, they, that Jesus said, oh, you've been there, you can't come in. Every single person that is living now, ever has lived, ever will live, is included in Jesus' invitation to come into the kingdom. I love how the modern-day songwriter expressed this in the song that we were singing before. She talks about Jesus as the king of her heart. And she just says, let the king of my heart be the mountain where I run, the fountain I drink from. Oh, he is my song. Let the king of my heart be the shadow where I hide, the ransom for my life. Oh, he is my song. And then she says, because God, you're so good. You're so good. And you know what? She speaks the truth. You'll never, never let me down. Never have, never will. So let me go out on a limb and take a stab at a guess about you. I'm guessing all of you at one point or another have been let down. Right? Do not look at your spouse at this moment. Don't do it. Every one of us has been let down, disappointed. I'm going to take another guess. Every one of us has let somebody else down too. The beautiful thing about the grace of God is that all of that is forgiven. All of that is washed away. And God's love and God's grace for you and for me and he will never let you down. He who said of himself, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up again and did it. (laughs) If you can say that and keep your word on that one, you'll keep your word on every other one and that is what Jesus Christ has done for you and for me. So, can I ask you to do three things this week. First of all, as Pastor Greg mentioned earlier, go on to the King of Kings app. Every day, click that little spot that gets you to the Bible reading plan. And that way, over the course of the summer, you'll read through at a fairly slow pace the entire Gospel of Matthew. And you'll be ready on Sunday mornings to roll. And I guess that's the second thing I'm asking you to consider Make it a commitment to be here uh, or, or to be online in whatever way, but to take part in all 13 of these weeks. I was expressing to my prayer partners early this morning that the thing I always feel about introducing a series is that just about the time we're ready to get into it, we have to close. But I am so excited about the next 12 weeks. You're going to be hearing all about this incredible kingdom. So make a commitment. And then lastly... I want to invite you to listen to the song this week. I want to invite you to even go so far as to say, the king of my heart, you are my song. I want you to listen to the song that the Lord would sing of you, over you. Do you know this? See, my personal idea, my personal thought is that because our God is a triune God, three in one, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. 
It's beautiful three-part harmony. And the Bible tells us that God sings over us. Zephaniah chapter 3. He sings over you. So this week, can you find a way to get to a quiet place, shut out the rest of the noise, and say, Jesus, I want to hear you as the king of my heart. Sing this song over me.